This episode of the Ortho Bullets podcast will be a question session reviewing multiple choice questions related to traumatic anterior shoulder instability, which is one of the topics that we covered this past week on the podcast. So let's get right into it. The first question reads, which of the following patients has the highest risk of developing recurrent instability after an arthroscopic Bancard procedure for anterior shoulder instability? And the choices are 1. 30-year-old female recreational soccer player with ligamentous laxity and an x-ray showing a hill sax lesion and loss of glenoid contour. 2. 16-year-old male who plays hockey recreationally with no laxity and an x-ray showing a loss of glenoid contour. 3. 18-year-old female competitive tennis player with no laxity and x-ray findings of a hill sax lesion and loss of glenoid contour. 4. 45-year-old male recreational basketball player with ligamentous laxity and x-ray findings of a hill sax lesion. And 5. 28-year-old male competitive football player with no laxity and no abnormal x-ray findings. So the 18-year-old competitive tennis player with no ligamentous laxity and x-ray findings consistent with a hill sax lesion and loss of glenoid contour has an instability severity index score of 9, which is associated with a greater than 70% chance of recurrent instability after an arthroscopic Bancard procedure. So the correct answer to this question is 3. 18-year-old female competitive tennis player with no laxity and x-ray findings of a hill sax lesion and loss of glenoid contour. The surgical management of anterior shoulder instability consists of both arthroscopic and open approaches. The guiding principles for treatment are the restoration of the normal glenoid labrum anatomy and retensioning of the inferior glenohumeral ligament, which is achieved via soft tissue reconstructions, that is repair of any labral detachment plus or minus capsular shift, or bony procedures such as transfer of the coracoid process. Ahmed et al. reviewed 302 patients who had undergone arthroscopic Bancart repair and capsular shift for the treatment of recurrent anterior glenohumeral instability. The prevalence of patient and injury-related risk factors for recurrence was assessed. The rate of recurrent glenohumeral instability after arthroscopic Bancart repair and capsular shift was 13.2%. The risk of recurrence was independently predicted by the patient's age at surgery the severity of glenoid bone loss, and the presence of an engaging hill sax lesion. Balg et al. identified risk factors for recurrent instability after arthroscopic Bancart procedure in 131 consecutive patients. Age under 20 years at the time of surgery, involvement in competitive or contact sports or those involving forced overhead activity, shoulder hyperlaxity, a hill sax lesion present on an AP radiograph of the shoulder in external rotation, and or loss of the sclerotic inferior glenoid contour were all identified as risk factors. These factors were integrated into a 10-point preoperative instability severity index score. Patients with a score over 6 points had an unacceptable recurrence risk of 70%. Moving on to the next question. A 25-year-old recreational soccer player has recurrent shoulder dislocations. He first dislocated his shoulder playing football in high school, was treated in a sling for six weeks, and returned to play for the remainder of the season. He did well until two years later when he re-injured the shoulder. He says that his shoulder dislocates with little injury and always, quote, feels loose. Examination reveals anterior instability and an MR arthrogram reveals an anterior inferior labral tear and surgical treatment is recommended. He inquires about the benefits of arthroscopic versus open procedure. Which of the following statements reflects an advantage associated with arthroscopic procedures compared to open stabilization? 
and the choices are 1. Range of motion might be slightly better after an arthroscopic procedure. 2. Rate of recurrence instability is lower after an arthroscopic procedure. 3. Rates of return to work are higher after an arthroscopic procedure. And 4. Rates of return to sports are higher after an arthroscopic procedure. So there's much debate in the literature regarding optimal techniques for treatment of shoulder instability. Most studies have suggested a slightly better range of motion of the shoulder after an arthroscopic repair. Recurrent instability rates have been slightly higher with arthroscopic procedures in some studies, while others show the rates are not statistically different. Return to work and or sports has been shown to be equal or slightly better with open procedures. But the correct answer to this question is 1. Range of motion might be slightly better after an arthroscopic procedure. Moving on to the next question. A 22-year-old man sustained a shoulder dislocation while playing collegiate football at age 18. Since that time, he has dislocated the shoulder three more times despite physical therapy. His last dislocation occurred four weeks ago while sleeping. What is the most appropriate management for this patient? And the choices are 1. Corticosteroid injection. 2. Changing the physical therapist to an athletic trainer. 3. A one-month trial of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs. 4. Shoulder immobilization for six weeks and five, a discussion regarding surgical stabilization procedures. So the patient sustained a traumatic shoulder dislocation at age 18 that has subsequently failed to respond to non-surgical management. Discussion of surgical stabilization procedures is warranted at this time. A corticosteroid injection or a trial of NSAIDs will not provide any stabilizing effect. Further immobilization in this patient population has not been shown to improve stability. So the correct answer to this question is five, a discussion regarding surgical stabilization procedures. Moving on to the next question. The standard Bankart lesion involves detachment of the labrum along with which of the following capsular ligaments? And the choices are one, superior glenohumeral ligament and coracohumeral ligament, two, superior glenohumeral ligament and middle glenohumeral ligament, three, middle glenohumeral ligament and inferior glenohumeral ligament, four, inferior glenohumeral ligament, and five, superior glenohumeral ligament, middle glenohumeral ligament, and inferior glenohumeral ligament. So the Bankart lesion involves detachment of the labrum corresponding to the attachment of the middle and inferior glenohumeral ligaments. So the correct answer to this question is three, middle glenohumeral ligament and inferior glenohumeral ligament. The superior glenohumeral ligament and the coracohumeral ligament are two superior, inserting near the biceps tendon and play no role in the Bankart lesion. Moving on to the next question. One week ago, a 25-year-old man slipped on the ice and fell, catching himself on a railing. He sustained an anterior dislocation that was subsequently reduced without difficulty in the emergency department, and he was discharged in a sling. He is now back for follow-up and reports no pain. Examination reveals no weakness on external rotation strength testing. What is the most appropriate management for this patient? And the choices are 1. Arthroscopic Bankart Repair. 2. MRI for possible rotator cuff tear, 3. Physical therapy, 4. Sling immobilization for an additional 2 weeks, and 5. Cortisone injection. So on the basis of the patient's age, lack of weakness, and the fact that this is a first-time traumatic shoulder dislocation, he is unlikely to have sustained a rotator cuff tear. Immobilization should be continued for 2 more weeks. Scheduling a surgical stabilization procedure at this time is not indicated. Immediate therapy is contraindicated because of the acuity of the injury. A cortisone injection is not indicated in an acute traumatic shoulder dislocation. So the correct answer to this question is 4. Sling immobilization for an additional 2 weeks. Moving on to the next question. 
A 25-year-old basketball player sustains an anterior shoulder dislocation during a game that is subsequently reduced with traction. An MRI will most likely show which of the following. And the choices are 1. Supraspinatus tear, 2. Humeral avulsion of the glenohumeral ligaments, 3. Long head of the biceps tear, 4. Superior labrum anterior to posterior tear, and 5. Antero-inferior labral tear. So acute traumatic shoulder dislocations in young athletes are associated with a high rate of antero-inferior labral tears. Acute traumatic shoulder dislocations in older patients that is greater than 40 years old are associated with concomitant rotator cuff tears. But the correct answer to this question is 5. Antero-inferior labral tear. Batoni et al. showed in a prospective randomized trial that arthroscopic stabilization was more effective than non-operative modalities for the treatment of traumatic first-time anterior shoulder dislocations. They found 77% of patients treated non-operatively had recurrent instability, while only 11% of operatively treated patients had recurrent instability. Arciero et al. in their prospective study showed a higher rate of recurrent instability in patients treated non-operatively, that is 88%, versus operative treatments, that was 14%. Moving on to the next question. Which patient would be ideal for an open shoulder reduction and glenoid bone augmentation? And the choices are 1. 25-year-old with first-time acute traumatic dislocation, 2. 78-year-old with a rotator cuff tear arthropathy with superior escape, 3. 24-year-old with chronic dislocation and large engaging Hillsax lesion, 4. 30-year-old with an acute bony Bankart fracture dislocation, and 5. 27-year-old with a chronic anterior dislocation and inverted pear-shaped glenoid. So open reduction and glenoid bone augmentation with graft or coracoid transfer is ideal for chronic dislocations with anterior glenoid deficiency that is an inverted pear-shaped glenoid without significant hill sacs that is less than 20% of humeral head arc impaction. So the correct answer to this question is 5, 27-year-old with a chronic anterior dislocation and inverted pear-shaped glenoid. The algorithm to treat chronic dislocation was reviewed by Shahajpal. When the glenoid defect is greater than 20 to 30%, then bony augmentation is indicated. The humeral head defect should be addressed if engaging or 20 to 40% head loss, and hemiarthroplasty should be considered if greater than 40% of the head is involved. Moving on to the next question. What is the most common neurologic problem associated with a simple shoulder dislocation? And the choices are 1. A neuropraxic brachial plexus injury, 2. A neuropraxic axillary nerve injury, 3. A neuropraxic musculocutaneous nerve injury, 4. A neurotmetic axillary nerve injury, and 5. An axonotmetic musculocutaneous nerve injury. So the most common nerve injury associated with dislocation of the shoulder involves the axillary nerve. This is typically a stretch injury or neuropraxia that occurs with anterior displacement of the humeral head out of the glenoid. The suspected diagnosis can be confirmed with neurodiagnostic testing after the first 2-3 to three weeks. A gradual return to normal function is the expected result, though mild deficits may remain. A neurotmetic injury, in which there is complete disruption of the entire nerve, would show no return of function. This type of injury is more likely to be associated with a penetrating injury, a laceration secondary to a fracture fragment, or occasionally with the direct blow of sufficient force. So the correct answer to this question is 2. A neuropraxic axillary nerve injury. Moving on to the next question. Osteonecrosis of the humeral head is a rare complication seen after dislocation of the glenohumeral joint in scalarly immature patients. When this complication is encountered, treatment should consist of, and the choices are 1. Humeral head arthroplasty, 
two, observation, three, arthroscopic capsule release, four, grafting of the humeral head defect, and five, electrical stimulation. So this rare complication occurs after fracture dislocation and has been seen after surgical stabilization in the adolescent. In most reported cases, prolonged observation has been shown to result in revascularization. So the correct answer to this question is two, observation. Moving on to the next question. An athlete has recurrent anterior shoulder instability despite non-operative treatment, including PT and bracing. He is noted to have anterior glenoid bone loss and a coracoid transfer or Latterge procedure is recommended. This is believed to improve stability through which of the following mechanisms? And the choices are 1. Increasing the glenoid bony support and excursion distance prior to dislocation. 2. The conjoined tendon passing through the subscapularis becomes a supportive sling. 3. Answers 1, 2, and 5 are correct. 4. Both 1 and 2 are correct. And 5. The remnant of the CA ligament can be used to aid in repair of the capsular tissues. So the latter J coracoid transfer has been described as creating a triple blocking effect due to the function of the conjoint sling, bony augmentation, and CA ligament support to the capsule. So the correct answer to this question is 3. Answers 1, 2, and 5 are correct, and that is increasing the glenoid bony support and excursion distance prior to dislocation, the conjoined tendon passing through the subscapularis becomes a supportive sling, and the remnant of the CA ligament can be used to aid in repair of the capsular tissues. To quickly review, the latter J procedure is used for recurrent anterior instability, especially in revision cases or when there is significant anterior glenoid bone loss. The coracoid is transferred through a split in the subscapularis and fixed to the anterior face of the glenoid. One of the most common indications is glenoid bone deficiency, which is defined as 20-30% to 30 glenoid bone loss, which has a high failure rate when addressed with a soft tissue or capsular procedure only. Glenoid bony deficiency should be addressed with a bony procedure. In a biomechanical study by Wellman et al., it was reported that the Latterge procedure outperformed the contoured bone graft in reducing translation in antero-inferior glenoid bone defects. They found the Latterge procedure is especially effective at 60 degrees of glenohumeral abduction. Moving on to the next question. What factor has highest risk for recurrent instability following a traumatic anterior shoulder dislocation? And the choices are 1. History of contralateral shoulder dislocation. 2. Young age that is less than 25 years old at the time of dislocation. 3. Dislocation of the dominant shoulder. 4. Family history of shoulder instability. And 5. History of patella instability. So regardless of the period of immobilization, a specific exercise program or immobilization slash activity restriction, recurrence rates remain high. The only consistent predictor of recurrence has been the age of the patient, reflecting the activity demands of the patient. In young patients that is less than 25 years old, recurrence rates have ranged from 60 to 94%. Family history confers a 34% risk of recurrence, while dislocation in the contralateral shoulder is seen in 25% of recurrently unstable patients according to one study in JBJS, that is the one by Hovelius et al. in 2008. No difference in dominant and non-dominant extremities was noted. So the correct answer to this question is 2. Young age less than 25 years old at the time of dislocation is the factor with the highest risk for recurrent instability following a traumatic anterior shoulder dislocation. Moving on to the next question. What is the most common finding during surgery for traumatic anterior shoulder instability? And the choices are 1. Anterior superior labral tear, 
two anteroinferior labral tear, three posteroinferior labral tear, four posteroinferior labral tear, and five Hillsack's lesion. So Hinterman et al. conducted a prospective study to evaluate the arthroscopic findings of the unstable shoulder to provide insights in the causes and mechanisms of shoulder instability. 212 patients who had at least one documented shoulder dislocation were studied. Of these, 87% had anterior glenoid labral tears, that is the Bankart lesion, 79% had ventral capsular insufficiency, 68% had Hillsac's compression fractures, 55% had glenohumeral ligament insufficiency, 14% had complete rotator cuff tears, 12% had posterior glenoid labral tears, and 7% had slap tears. Similarly, in a study by Taylor et al., 63 of 67, that is 97% of patients, had Bankart lesions, but none had rotator cuff tears. Thus, the right answer here is anteroinferior labral tear, which is choice number two. And moving on to the final question for this review session, a patient undergoes an MRI arthrogram for recurrent shoulder instability. Based on the imaging, the surgeon feels the arthroscopic treatment is contraindicated and recommends open treatment. What is the most likely diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Glenohumeral articular disruption, or GLAD. 2. Humeral avulsion of the glenohumeral ligament, or HAGL. 3. Superior labrum tear from anterior and posterior, or a slap lesion. 4. Anterior labral ligamentous periosteal sleeve avulsion, or an ALPSA lesion. And 5. Partial articular-sided supraspinatus tendon avulsion, or a PASTA lesion. So humeral avulsion of the glenohumeral ligament or HAGL lesions occur when the IGA child tears away from its humeral insertion without an associated subscapular tear. The classic teaching is that HAGL lesions requires open repair of the capsule, whereas the other lesions listed are felt to be better addressed with an arthroscopic approach. So the correct answer to this question is 2. Humeral avulsion of the glenohumeral ligament or a HAGL lesion. According to the literature review by Stein et al., patients with significant glenoid bone loss, attenuated capsulolabral tissue, engaging Hillsac's lesions, and Hagel lesions are contraindicated for arthroscopic repair. They state that while arthroscopy has better cosmesis, decreased perioperative morbidity, decreased loss of external rotation, and is valuable in the confirmation of the extent and severity of shoulder instability, for these lesions, open techniques are the gold standard. More recent studies support that arthroscopic treatment of Hagel lesions can still be effective in skilled hands. That's all for this question review session about traumatic anterior shoulder instability. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.